Come with it now. I like when you pronounce the th. Come with it now. Come with it now. Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast, the podcast where we listen to albums we liked when we were younger, and we decide if they're still cool or if they're just so-so. My name's Brandon. I'm Joey B. I'm Matthew. And today we're discussing uh, Rage Against the Machines' first duty and self-titled album, uh, which was a huge, huge album for us when we were in our teens. Um, yeah. I think uh, we were talking about in previous episodes like uh, Bungle and Groovis, obviously, and the Mars Volta being really influence, influential, um, like, end of high school and into the college years. And I feel like Rage was the two or three years preceding that were mm-hmm. probably the most influential band for us. What do you think about that? I I would agree with that. Yeah, no, I think that sounds about right. I feel like junior high through early high school, this was a staple. Yeah. I am a guitar player, and I I used to exclusively play acoustic guitar, but I'd still learned all the Rage Against the Machine songs on acoustic guitar. And uh, Tom Morello is a big influence on me and his style. I just love... I just love him. So yeah, so this will be a fun episode. The it's probably not going to be an episode where there's lots of arguing about whether or not the songs are good, but <laughs> yeah, we're pretty biased. Yeah. Pretty in favor of this one. But uh before we get started too much um if you're listening to this and you want to follow us on Twitter, we have a Twitter. It's at so so cool pod and uh come come follow us there and uh you know do all those normal things. <laughs> Get your norm core on. Yeah. Anybody have anything they want to say before we start talking about music? I'm in Harrisburg. We're in the same town. We're I'm back in my hometown for a little while. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get to see B-Kiz in a little bit. Did you say you're macking in your hometown? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, yeah, sure. Knowing all the biscuits, macking in your town. <laughs> um, I also learned that, did you know that you can't sell a car in Pennsylvania on a Sunday? Uh, no. I don't know if I knew that. I don't know about private sales or if anybody would even enforce it. But um, yeah, it's, uh, the dealerships are all closed and it's like a vestige of um, blue laws, which like kept people from engaging in like commerce on Sundays. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Very strange. <laughs> so that's my Joe's fact of the day. <laughs> you can drop in some music there. Okay. Joey B's fact of the day. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Biz's beat of the day. Do you remember that? No. Oh, because did you ever watch Yo Gabba Gabba with your kids? I'm aware of it. And oh, it was man. created by um, 
the Aquabats, a ska band. Well, Bismarcky has a recurring bit on Yo Gabba Gabba called Biz's Beat of the Day, where he teaches um, beat making. Nice. That's just pretty cool. Yeah, so Joey B and I are going to get to see each other before he leaves town. That'll mm-hmm. be super fun. Yeah. And maybe some other, some other dudes. Yeah. For sure. Looking maybe forward to that. Maybe some future guests yeah. on the pod that our listeners don't know yet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Do you want to say, before yes. we get into Rage Against the Machine, um, mm-hmm. that we... Uh, are going to take a little bit of a break, a little bit of a summer break. Sure. We're going to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> just, we are going to take a little bit of a summer break. You're the voice of authority, so I feel like you need yeah. to say it instead okay. of me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're taking a break. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take a little break, a couple weeks off. Uh, things have gotten a little busy in our lives, and for a few weeks, we're going to take off here. So there may be a few weeks where we are not. Uh, crowd in your inbox with new content but we'll come back we're sorry we're so sorry (laughs) (laughs) but what a way to go out on a bang with one of our former favorite bands rage against the machine oh yeah come with it now (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so one thing we should mention is that joe and i did see them live yeah when did that happen uh on 2007 yeah when they, their very first reunion right mm-hmm. yeah yeah they, they saw them at rock the bells yeah they played at coachella that year and uh, i think it was going to be uh it was originally just promoted as like a, a one-time thing and then they played a few shows um that year including Rock the Bells, which I think there were multiple. There were some New York shows and then maybe some L.A. shows. And then, um, and then they played on and off for a few years until like 2011-ish. Um, yeah. And then now they're touring right now. And I think when this comes out, they'll still be touring. Yeah. I think that was one of my favorite big live concerts I've ever been to. The was, the rage part or just the whole thing, the whole thing, yeah. and then especially the lead up to it. I don't I honestly don't remember too much about rage because, uh, it got overwhelming. Mm-hmm. If you recall, yeah, <laughs> um, it was like Public Enemy, Wu Tang Clan, and then Rage, and I remember, um, Public Enemy and and Wu Tang were just so good, and then it was like. The very first note that was played when Rage opened their set, that just like the entire mass of people pushed forward really, really heavily. Probably, I guess, my guess would be to like open up a mosh pit or something or just people getting really excited. But like, I just remember my feet not, no longer touching ground because it was like just smashed so hard. Um, and I don't remember how did we I feel like we crowd surfed out cuz we weren't that far from the front. Like we were only like eight r- rows of people back from the front row and yeah. So it was like the way I remember it was um there were there were a lot of act we Cypress Hill was there 
You remember that? Yeah. Um, the Roots played. Uh, yeah. And then earlier in the day, I think. Uh, that was there, when the Roots had like a marching band. Yeah, there was a horn, yeah. big horn section. And um, I think maybe MF Doom was there. I think Aesop Rock might have been there. Um, I think Sage Francis played at some of the Rock the Bells shows, but I don't think he was at that one because we would have definitely gone yeah, to see him. Um, but yeah, there was a, a lot of good acts. And I think what happened was we kind of, we were there all day, so we were like going between stages. And then as it got later, we were trying to get like position and we got pretty close during like Cypress Hill and Wu-Tang and stuff. Oh, also Scott Ian from Anthrax was played with, with Public Enemy, which was cool. Um, oh, cool. And uh, we got, we ended up getting pretty close. Yeah. For those last, the last couple acts. And then when Rage, yeah, I have the same memory. Rage started. They like, people rushed the stage. And I don't know if this happened to you, Matt, but I remember pretty clearly like climbing over the fence um, because it was just like, I, we were 22. And I remember thinking, like, I'm too old for this. This sucks. And <laughs> I climbed over the fence. And there was, like, probably, it felt like a long time, but it was probably, like, 10 or 15 seconds where I was in front of the fence um, that separated the stage from the crowd. And so I was, yeah. like, watching, like, Zach crouch down, you know, and, like, I was really close to him and then like the security just kind of like usher you to the back yeah. and it was pretty cool. But then we stood pretty far back for the rest of the show. Yeah. That's what I remember. I feel like we s saw someone crowd surfing. It was like, that's like we just push ourselves up and get over the, the next couple of rows to get out of the, out of there. Yeah. And I remember that's watching the rest of the show back up on the hill. Mm-hmm. That's funny you guys say that because I used to have a DVD of Rage Live and I remember watching that and making a note to self like maybe never go see them because the crowd looks out of control. Like it it looks like there would be no place you could stand without just being knocked from side to side. And I was like, that doesn't look fun to me. <laughs> Like I don't know that I necessarily would want to uh, go was see not. them live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, that's interesting that you guys got to see them though. They sounded good. Honestly, I don't. Rem I because the first like few minutes, I was just concerned with getting out of there. I don't really remember much of that part, and then we were pretty far back for the rest of it. I feel like um, my only like memory of that is that you know we were in a we were so far back the sound kind of sucked so i don't i honestly don't remember whether or not it was a good performance it was more like an experience i guess and uh i think matt i remember you in particular saying at the time that you were surprised by kind of the um looseness of the of the performance like they're very tight on record and you didn't think that they were particularly tight. Yeah. I, now that you say that, I, I do have a vague memory of that. But again, it could have been like, 
and we were hearing such like reverberated like we were in a we weren't in a great position to hear hear it well yeah they also like are pretty intense performers and i'm sure that you know they're thrashing around and it it just kind of sometimes you're not as tight as you can be when you're feeling the music like that well cool yeah rage was my favorite band for a number of years um when did you guys start listening to them Um, I think I was aware of them in junior high, uh, which would have been like 97 and 8. And then I think I got really into them when Battle of Los Angeles came out, which was 99 or 2000. Um, Because I was really young when the first two albums came out and and it just wasn't, you know, on my radar. Um, And then I remember getting really excited about them and then they broke up that year basically after battle of los angeles came out um so that was when i started and then we went back and listened to the previous two records a lot were we in eighth or ninth grade when the original matrix came out i think ninth grade i think it was 99 i think the matrix came out in the summer between eighth and ninth grade yeah that's i feel like that was my memory because we were I remember having a sleepover at Marty's house and his sister I, got us tickets to see the Matrix and snuck yeah, us in. I definitely so, saw it with Marty. And, and right, Wake Up is, in, is on the soundtrack, right? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's the, the final yeah. song. Yeah. 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 So I feel like, I don't know if that was my, f- I, don't, I don't think that was my first introduction to Rage, but it definitely was like a key moment of, um, and I, because I think, yeah, I think I got into them or like in eighth grade, maybe ninth, like got the self-titled album. But it may have been because of The Matrix, but I don't remember. I remember hearing about uh, Rage, I believe, from you guys. And I remember seeing Gorilla Radio, the video on TV and Sleep Now in the Fire and maybe Testify. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I just remember I the only one I actually purchased was Battle for Los Angeles and the other two I or the other three of their albums I actually just burnt from copies that you guys had or other friends of ours had. Um but I listened to that a lot. I listened to them a lot. I yeah. think it's funny cuz I had all of their records except for Battle. It's the only one I didn't have. Oh, you never had it. No, I think maybe I had a burn copy eventually, but I was really, really into self-titled, and then I got uh-huh. really, really into Evil Empire. Um, well, th- those two were my f- big favorites, and then I remember purchasing Renegades when it came out. I mean, we we had a text conversation a couple of days ago about like what our favorite Rage albums are. This is explaining to me like why I lean Battle for Los Angeles and why you lean... Uh, not battle for Los Angeles, uh, because you know the the first one that you listen to, or the or the ones that you kind of gravitate toward, um, really, really, really skew how you how you rank them. And I I would assume that battle for Los Angeles is my the first one I got. Well, I definitely got self titled first, but then Evil Empire. I 
in high school, I listened to Evil Empire more. But I think mm-hmm. now, as an adult, looking back, I think I, I think Self-Titled is a stronger album. I think there are moments on Evil that are, like, there are songs that are, like, really, really high highs and probably better than some of the things on Self-Titled, but as a, as a record, Self-Titled is definitely my fave. Yeah, I think Self-Titled is the most consistent. Um... There are songs, particularly on Battle of Los Angeles, that I don't even really like that much. Yeah. Like, I occasionally would skip them. Um, I haven't listened Mm -hmm. to it in a while, but I went back and looked through it, um, through the track listing and stuff, and I think I was like, eh, like, Sleep Now in the Fire and um, some of the other songs on that. I'm like, "Uh, they're not, I don't, they don't catch me as much as the stuff on the first two albums. Oh man, I love Sleep Down in the Fire. That was one of my favorites. Um That riff is really cool. Yeah. It it's it's way more bluesy than a lot of their other stuff though. It does mm-hmm. have a bit of a different sound. Um I agree. And we said this the other day too, but I agree. Um the first one is the most consistent and then the second one it's almost like some of the songs I like more than anything on self-titled but there's tons of songs I skip on evil empire and battle. So I think the self-titled is, is maybe the best it's, it's maybe the best representation of, of what they do. And it's the most consistent with, with the fewest songs that I would consider skipping. Yeah. Maybe just one. Um, That said, I think, yeah, Tom Morello, does some really sonically interesting stuff on those second two albums. Yeah. That yeah. The self-titled is um is great but it he's works in kind of a narrower box of sounds, you know, like a set of sounds kind of uh he does some really incredible stuff with his guitar. Yeah, yeah particularly sure. on on Evil, I mm-hmm. feel like there were some really wild things on there that I just remember thinking like how does he make a guitar sound like that yeah I mean and and like Ashes in the Fall mm-hmm. from Battle for Los Angeles like yeah I don't know if it was in it if I if I read it or if it was like a on YouTube or something but I do remember Tom Morello um talking about his role in the band and he was like I sort of am the DJ and uh so his like he the, that's sort of the way he approached um his sound toolkit was sort of like creating that sort of backing music for for Zach over the rhythm section so. yeah i we can talk about it more when we listen to the songs but maybe this is a controversial take but i i wish i i wish sometimes he would play more like a conventional guitarist um because oh. he's so good that's a hot uh, take. His, uh, I love the sounds that he makes, and I, and I certainly think he's super innovative in that way. But sometimes when he just like solos, it's, he's, he's got a very unique, distinct kind of style of playing. Um, and I wish he would show off that side of his um, guitar playing skill just a little bit more. Yeah. 
I agree. I didn't know he was so good until a little bit later because mm-hmm. a lot of his riff stuff is very simple and mm-hmm. very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and this album almost the most uh, mm-hmm. where the songs kind of toward the end, it's like this riff is very similar to another riff I already heard. And then the song after this is pretty similar. And I don't dislike that, but if you listened to it, you might not realize how good a guitarist Morello actually is because he, he hides his uh, shredding abilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. I'd be curious, though, because I think like the band sort of supports Zach. Uh, like the focus mm-hmm. is, is the vocals. And so I would... I, when you said that you wanted him to play more like a guitar player, I feel like my immediate gut reaction was like, no, that might upset the balance that creates a really cool sonic quality that they have. But I see what you mean. Yeah, he does, like, especially on this album, he feels a lot more restrained. Well, we we didn't talk about it because there's a specific song that I I can point to, but, um, yeah. Obviously... It's almost silly to say because what he's known for is like this guy who makes all of these incredible different sounds with a guitar. So to say like, oh, he should just play more like modal scale solos. It's kind of boring, but he's really good at it. Yeah. Um, well, another part of, of part of what we're talking about here is that they kind of fall in this weird. Like I think of them more as almost hip-hop than metal but they're very often classified as a metal group and i hadn't really even thought about that till this week when i was researching and like oh yeah i guess people give them the label of a metal band um which seemed so foreign to me to call them that (laughs) um but um they were rated number 24 on rolling stone's list of the 100 greatest metal albums of all time and it just seemed so weird <laughs> to call it that. I don't know that I would put them in the metal category. Like, I think, I don't know if we were recording yet, but Joe, you mentioned, like, kind of coming out of a hardcore scene and, like, Southern California hip-hop. I feel like metal is the wrong way to describe rage. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, if you stripped away some of the sonic qualities, like the riff, riffy stuff that Tom Morello does feels much more rooted in like Led Zeppelin kind of style yeah. guitar playing than metal. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I've always compared them, to, in my mind, to Led Zeppelin, or at least Tom Morello's riffs, mm-hmm. in my mind, to Led I mean, Zeppelin. I, I guess you could say if like you're looking at those influences i i'll bet there's a little bit of like early sabbath influence too yeah which i then kind of can take you down a metal road but i just i just um i guess it's hard for me to like really think of a a category for them because they are such an amalgam of sounds and they are so unique and then they've had such a cultural and musical impact and influence think we were mentioning before like the bands of the mid and late 90s that came out that had like um rappers and 
and heavy guitars and they like i think that's in large part due to rage against the machine but like this record came out in 1990 and like um 92 oh 92 they yeah they didn't even form till 91 oh right it came out uh election day 92. november yeah oh yeah november november 3rd 1992 yep yeah still i mean like i i feel like the like the rock scene and the metal scene, like what was happening at this time in metal was very different. Yeah. I think maybe, yeah, like it's people may, might classify them in metal based on like the associations. I'm thinking like the new metal kind of stuff that came after them, which was obviously had rap influences. And then also the stuff before them, like I'm thinking of, bands like fishbone and living color yeah um and maybe faith no more that had obvious metal influences and their guitar sounds were kind of metally but mm-hmm. were very eclectic as well um yeah yeah i put them more in that category than like a yeah fishbone yeah. and and faith no more feel like really good analogs to rage and i think another part of it is because like they do share some qualities with the new metal that they kind of helped inspire, but all of that falls firmly more in the metal in the rock category. Whereas rage really because of Zach, it, it felt like closer to hip hop than, than rock a lot of times. Um, and certainly their influences were obviously, um, big time hip hop influences uh almost more almost more obviously than uh than rock yeah like i listening to him on this record like you can hear i feel like you can hear like the easy e kind of inflection in the way that he he yeah uh, yeah i think um also the rhythm section, I think the only metal, metally kind of quality would come from the guitar. Cause I feel like the rhythm section mm-hmm. is pretty, um, uh, operating a little bit more like a hip hop or funky, almost like rhythm section. They're pretty straightforward. Um, they're pretty grounded. Um, yeah. so yeah, I don't get a metal vibe very much from the rhythm section either. Well, it would be the it would be the heavy guitar and the the shouting, like the delivery of the like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hip hop and and rap influenced, but it's delivered more, maybe like a metal, uh, screaming type delivery. So I could I could see it there. Um, but I I saw an article that talked a little bit about how Rage helped inspire new metal and, um. And for people who aren't familiar with new metal as a term, maybe like think Limp Biscuit, Linkin Park, Corn. Corn was kind of like the first um, band that really got labeled as new metal and sort of looked at as the new metal kicking it off. Um, but I guess somebody had interviewed Tim Comerford, the bassist for Rage, and asked about like, what do you think of this legacy uh, of you being sort of um inspiring new metal 
and he said, I do apologize for Limp Biscuit. <laughs> I really do. I really feel bad that we inspired such bullshit. <laughs> and then it went it went on to say, in Comerford's mind, Rage Against the Machine single-handedly gave rise to that new frat boy meets overgrown skater genre known as new metal. He's basically saying that they grew Fred Durst in a Petri dish. I think it uh, is worth calling out, too, something we talked about before. Um, and there's all of the sonic elements to Rage Against the Machine that make them different. Um, but there's also the political content. And what a lot of those new metal bands did was they took the anger and aggressiveness of Rage Against the Machine and they stripped out any of the kind of ethics and politics of it. And the anger of Rage Against the Machine feels much more righteous and Mm -hmm. it feels like much more satisfying to listen to for me and probably I would assume you guys feel the same way um whereas new metal has that like the documentary that came out last year about woodstock 99 there's the misogynistic elements to it just kind of the like a lot of just grossness yeah i mean the name limp biscuit is like just a yeah so that's um yeah i think they certainly have a distinct sound from that but also i think the the lyrics and their politics helps them. Yeah. They're kind of their own genre. I heard somebody say that on a YouTube video, and I agree. Rage is sort of its own thing that's hard to classify into a genre because it feels like its own thing. They also... Yeah, I mean, I guess I... Like, I I don't know. It feels to me more like I'd put them in... Oh, maybe this is wrong, but I guess like I would just put them more in the category of like Public Enemy and NWA, um, right? Like groups with a very political message that sometimes incorporated live instruments. I think NWA sometimes had guitar. And the, there was a um, because they lasted into two thousand, and you know they still play now, but they haven't put out any new music. But they were putting out new music into two thousand. They tend to get lumped into, they sometimes get lumped into new metal, but, but they, yeah, they really do have more of that ethic and the, the sound of like, I think that early nineties hip hop, um, like body count was another thing that wasn't, was kind of a weird, um, metal hip hop amalgam. Um, and they also, I think fit more into that just early nineties alternative, um, they don't really sound a ton like bands like Jane's Addiction and and whatever, but they and Tool and stuff, but they seem like kind of culturally of that same um that the same ilk of like they're they they're sincere. Um they're not as uh you know, rock music in the late nineties and early two thousands kind of took a weird turn. Uh, and Rage seems to fit more with the kind of early 90s stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can hear, especially in the rhythm section, I can hear Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers in like, yeah. that sort of late late 80s, early 90s, Southern California funk rock stuff. You can, you can hear that in the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Not so much in the gu- guitar. But. Yeah, and I think when you... 
when you realize like they played at Woodstock 99 and they were sort of the same, even I think they were the same night as Limp Biscuit and maybe it, maybe it was Corn and Limp Biscuit and Rage were all like that night that things went off the rails and there was a huge uh, riot basically. Um, if you think about, if you consider they were there for that and you consider like, you guys know the story about the MTV uh, awards with Timmy C getting up and protesting by like, and that uh, Zach thought this was super embarrassing and hated that he did it. And you can kind of see why they broke up in 99 um, or, or, or in the beginning of 2000, because (laughs) I could see, you know, if, if I put myself in maybe a sort of mindset of what Zach seems to be about, uh, all of that stuff feels like I'm not in the right place. If I'm on the same bill as these uh, new metal guys and I'm, you know, and we're, we're doing weird stunts at the MTV awards, uh, this is going off w- what I really had in mind for, or for our music and our band. So you can kind of understand why they didn't continue at that point. There's uh, an inherent, tension all along with rage i think of like what you're speaking to they had to do certain things because they were a huge band and um they also were like a i don't know exactly how they identify anarchist socialist whatever but they were pretty radical um yeah and that was always something that people would knock them for um for being on like a major label but they were also getting this message out to a ton of people um so i could see how that would have just been unsustainable yeah for sure i I actually had a a question or or a topic before we get into the album related to that which is like did rage have a political influence on on either of you guys very clearly for me the album notes that apple music writes for this album is it'd be interesting to know just how many suburban kids learned about Che Guevara and that the FBI targeted Martin Luther King for his opposition to the Vietnam War from Rage Against the Machine. And I think, like, I don't know, that sort of just holds a little true for me. Like, being a suburban kid, I think they they did sort of, like, their lyrical content did make me start to think about things a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, that this this brings up something I was gonna say any anyway. But this music really is very kind of revolutionary, politically speaking. Um, and uh, but I was also thinking while listening to it, when a band becomes big enough and the music is good enough, the music tends to transcend the message and and its target audience and become way bigger than that. So, for instance, like Nirvana hated that suddenly jocks and popular kids were just as into them as uh as the the weird kids as they kind of identified themselves with um and uh you know i there are there are christians who love marilyn manson and nine inch nails and uh there are conservatives who love rage against the machine and we've heard paul ryan say that he loves rage against the machine um and that's super weird. But at the same time, I was one of those, like I, I was raised super Christian and didn't really have, uh, 
a ton of context for what they were really talking about, but I loved the music and I, and I, I kind of, I kind of got it a little bit. Um, but at the time I think the message was pretty lost on me, but I still really identified with the music, but, um, I think, and, and I also identified just with anger. Um, and I was thinking while listening to it this week, um, I spend a lot of my time trying not to be super angry about everything that's happening politically so that I can just kind of function and be the, be a dad and all of these things. <laughs> and, uh, listening to this album is really angering to me when I think about the, uh, what they're talking about and how uh, relevant it all still is. And I had to kind of um, not let it get me too revved up politically (laughs) so that I could, you know, play with my kids without being, having all this righteous political anger. Uh, (laughs) It has had an effect on me, even being somebody who sort of woke up, so to speak um, in their thirties and um, looking at it now and remembering, like, I remember these songs then, and they just hit 10 times harder now that I understand fully where they're coming from. Yeah, that's super interesting. I was kind of curious about that. Um, uh, yeah, for me, I'd say my uh, upbringing, upbringing was fairly apolitical. Um, so for me, I think it was influential because even when I was in high school, because I think it was, and there were other influences of, of course, but, um, it kind of gave me the idea that like being critical, um, of the government or whatever, and being thoughtful about things and, and maybe, you know, trying to seek out other sources of information on, on various topics was kind of cool. And, mm-hmm. um, and just some of the imagery and, um, that they used, I just thought was really cool. And like, you know, like the stereotypical, like Che Guevara kind of stuff. Um, and they made me aware of a lot of things like the song wake up is, um, really um maybe the most obvious one where you can like go and go on now not in high school but like now like go on wikipedia or whatever and like read about what they're talking about and um it's pretty clear um so yeah i think it was pretty influential to me i also remember i found out who noam chomsky was from rage against the machine there was a um battle of mexico city dvd and um, there's an interview in the beginning, or I, I don't know if it's at the beginning. It's at some point on the DVD, um, in addition to the show, uh, where Zach interviews Noam Chomsky. And at the time, I was just like, who's this old guy? <laughs> right. um, but then, like, I think it, like, it was in my brain. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is interesting or whatever. But I didn't really maybe get a ton out of it. But in college, I was like... Um, started to get more down into that uh radical leftist kind of reading about things and watching stuff on YouTube. Um and I think rage was a big part of that. I, I think it it just made me think about things differently. 
Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. I feel like my household wasn't apolitical. Um but it definitely was something that like for me was very influential. And I would say like I don't know, I remember uh I don't know if it was like junior or senior year of high school, like with all the stuff with um we went and saw Ralph Nader and um were you there, Joe? I don't think I went to that. Oh. Um, like I remember like just going to see Ralph Nader debate and things like that. Like I I would say listening to Rage was probably a step towards that stuff. I don't know if it was directly, but it was just a part of the whole thing for me, like getting to be a little bit more politically aware and and opinionated. Um and definitely like I would say like you know, senior year with like the war in Iraq and all that, it, this stuff was very pertinent. Totally. Okay, so uh, getting more into the album itself, Rage Against the Machine, this was their first album, their self-titled album. Rage had formed in Los Angeles, California in 91, and which kind of shocks me because they had such a distinct sound, and they're recording this like, n- like a year later. Um and uh, so that's pretty cool. They really seem to to formulate their sound extremely quickly. Um, they uh, they recorded this album at Sound City in Los Angeles, which is um, sort of a famous recording studio there. There's an entire documentary that Dave Grohl made about that um, that uh, recording studio. It's now gone. Um, but if you're interested, check out. That's a pretty cool documentary. It's called Sound City. The album was produced by Gagarth, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which uh, his name is Garth Richardson, but for some reason it's he goes by Garth with three G-G G's. Garth, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it says produced by Gagarth and Rage Against the Machine. Uh, it was released on Epic Records on November third, nineteen ninety-two. So this November will be its thirtieth anniversary, which is crazy to think about. Um, Rage has always been Zach De La Rocha on vocals, Tom Rello on guitar, Tim Comerford or Timmy C on bass, and Brad Wilk on drums. And this album got really good reviews. Um, Pitchfork gave it a 9.1. Uh, it peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard Heat Seekers chart and number 45 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and got triple platinum sales certification in the U.S. Uh, here's a couple, here's some other music that came out in 1992, Faith No More's Angel Dust, R.E.M. Automatic for the People, Beastie Boys Check Your Head, Stone Temple Pilots Core, Dr. Dre's The Chronic, Tori Amos' Little Earthquakes, Pavement, Slanted and Enchanted, Sublime, 40 Ounces to Freedom, Alice in Chains' Dirt, What's the 411, Mary J. Blige, and The Far Side, Bizarre Ride 2. This album doesn't feel as old as it is to me. It is really old. Uh, Movies that came out in 92. Uh, A Few Good Men, The Last of the Mohicans, A League of Their Own, Unforgiven, The Bodyguard, School Ties, uh, Batman Returns, 
Encino Man, Three Ninjas, which I put on there because I definitely love Three Ninjas. Because keep in mind, we were six, I was six and seven in 92. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wayne's World, My Cousin Vinny, White Men Can't Ooh. Jump. <laughs> my Cousin Vinny is, is like one of my go to just need to watch something stupid and funny. <laughs> yeah. 92 is an interesting year, which I think you alluded to a little bit talking about how rage doesn't feel as dated because yeah. I feel like by 93, 94, we were solidly in the 90s. But in 92, it was still like you had Nirvana, you had um, like West Coast rap that was kind of ended up being kind of the, the template for like the next few years in pop music. But there was mm-hmm. also still like vestiges of 80s things. And, and the same with yeah. the movies. Some of those movies feel like, I don't know, A League of Their Own. That's like, I, I s- watched that recently and it's like, feels like, oh, this could have been made much later. Um, but a lot of the stuff yeah. feels dated too. So I think it's just part of like that year as sort of a transition. Um, 91, 92 were kind of like a transition into what became the 90s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like 88 through 92 was just this crossover period. Yeah. 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 Uh, I had a couple more movies. Army of Darkness, The Mighty Ducks, Aladdin, Home Alone 2, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. <laughs> those last four, I, all, I saw all of those in the theater, so got to bring those up. Yeah, those are, are big, big for us. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, you're right. This was an interesting time. It was a, some stuff still felt like 80s. Some stuff felt like it was jumping ahead. Rage felt like like something completely new coming out. Um, mm-hmm. and, but certainly certainly more in the vein of um, the public enemy NWA uh, line of stuff. Um, and it didn't feel like it really had all that much to do with like Nirvana and what was happening in rock. Yeah. Uh, even though the guitars were not that dissimilar and they actually chose to record at sound city because nevermind was recorded sound recorded at sound city. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, that's one of the few things that's actually in the documentary about rage recording there. Um, I believe Brad Wilk was uh, saying that they chose to record there because Nirvana had done Nevermind there. And that was like, had just come out really recently. So they were like, that's kind of why we went there. So the cover, um, which was very uh, striking, is the picture of this uh, Buddhist monk in South Vietnam uh, named Tick Guang Duck. And I'm sure we're not pronouncing it correctly, so apologies for that. Um, and it's a famous, uh, he self-immolated uh, as a protest against the South Vietnamese government and their persecution of Buddhists. Um, so, and then the, the photo is, was fairly famous before Rage used it, um, and it was taken by Malcolm Brown, um, a photojournalist. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, it definitely. It's a image that sticks with you. Well, yeah, I think just like that image um 
I think sort of speaks to like how seriously they take the message that they're giving. It's not something that they would put on there because it's like provocative just for just to be provocative. Um, they also in the liner notes did write no samples, keyboards or synthesizers were used in the making of this record, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and the the band was listed as Guilty Parties, which I think was done in on all the records. And I think they had that note about no synthesizers on all their records. Yeah, yeah even Audio Slave had that, I, I recall. Mm. And I think they, in the thank yous, they thanked the Black Panther Party and Huey P. Newton as well. Oh, okay. All right. Let's listen to the album. Yeah. Let's uh, open it with a bomb track. good iconic i love the sound just this the the like the unison riffs with the drum and bass like or the bass and guitar um such a cool sound and it's throughout the entire album just them playing together i mean it's such a good opening track just that like really cool riff and the build-up i think it sets the tone one of the things that like listening back to this that I never really picked up on is how dynamic they actually play. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of bands that I think you might put into the, like we're talking about new metal and stuff, their range is pretty limited. Um, And I was just surprised at like the dynamic range on this record, especially like how they do buildups and uh, creating tension and like this opening it's just a really good example of that, like starting kind of low volume and then like just their natural, just the sort of natural dynamic buildup. Yeah. Yeah, I did see, um, and this is relevant, especially um, we talked about there was a little bit of a potentially weirdness with the tempo at the very beginning. They recorded this all in one room at Sound City they had the amps in a different room mic'd and the drums mic'd in the room where they were and a PA in the drum where they the room where they were so they could hear. And uh no click track or anything, just them playing live. And the producer Garth Richardson said he, when he saw them, he was so floored by their energy that he was like 
this is unusual to to track something like this, but this is the way we're going to record it. Like we have to. Um, so. That's interesting. That's kind yeah. of, uh, as an aside, that's kind of how we ended up recording. Um, not with the horns, but I know Joe, you, Nick, and I were in the same room with your amps in sound booths. I really liked that way of recording, by the way. Yeah. It was fun. This song was a single, which I didn't know. There were four singles from this album, and this is one of them. Yeah. we. I think we should just note every song that, when it comes up, that we at some point played. Um, yeah. Which I think this is one. I don't know if we ever performed it uh, in front of anybody, but we... Nick and I and Ferry like knew how to play it and we would play it for fun. Yeah. Yeah, this is one I still play on guitar. Yeah, that that intro riff. It's yeah. just so fun. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, and we didn't even mention in the the whole beginning part that we used to cover Rage a lot. We covered a lot of Rage songs in our time as a band. Um is it, it accurate to say all of the songs in this album are in one of two keys. I don't know about every song, but the majority are either in D or F sharp. Okay. Because he did that thing a lot where he would do the play in F sharp because you can do the like hammer on from the E to the F sharp. E to F. And then he played yeah, and drop e D a lot. Yep. Yep. And I think this song's in F sharp. It is F sharp, one of my one of my favorite keys. Yeah, C C sharp's my all time favorite. Awesome. F sharp's a really good key to play in for heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, I thought you were gonna make a joke about no the number of <laughs> singles the no, <laughs> the number of singles since we just did no doubt and uh, you're like so almost every song on this record was a single and. Uh, could you imagine could you imagine if seven songs from this were singles and it had gone diamond could you imagine what a world that would have been i was surprised to see some of them that were singles it was killing in the name bomb track uh bullet in the head and freedom It's great that um, Killing in the Name and Bullet in the Head were, were singles. Right, right. <laughs> which, which makes me really wonder, like, how did they... There must have been a radio edit of Killing in the Name because that's, mm-hmm. that's their biggest song, period. And I guess we should talk about that after the next song. But um, I would imagine that one got radio play. But I can't imagine these songs being on the radio. I mean, Freedom doesn't... I don't think has any cursing. Yeah, freedom is um, freedom's the cleanest of uh, maybe bomb track too. Bomb track might not have any swearing. Uh, it has an explicit on it. Fuck manifest destiny. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love the lyrics and in bomb track and take the power back and. I have 305, and, uh, and it, I, I wrote, love this riff and Zach's growl. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. 
the drums are just so sort of subtly really good. Yeah. Like you can hear you can hear how tight drum and bass are on that. And yeah. it's a simple but it's such a simple part, but they're so in the pocket. Yeah, and that part's real funky that feeling. That's true of of Timmy C as well. He's subtly really good. Yeah, and knowing that they recorded these live, there's no quantification that happens in Pro Tools. It's like, so cool. Mm -hmm. Well, Killing in the Name. We definitely covered this in front of people. Yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> at a school event, <laughs> right? Uh, no, we did freedom oh, at yeah. the freedom, CD okay. stack. Great use of cowbell in the song. Yeah. So this is like the iconic rage song, really. Yeah. Yes. The riff is fantastic. I think it's the um, distortion or something that Timmy C uses, but it's for when it gets heavy. Um, but like in that, when it kicks in really heavy there and like Tom and Tim playing together and like the sounds just kind of melding together into this like like i don't know it sounds awesome yeah and i think like the way it opens could be really boring because they're just sort of hitting those mm -hmm. um, notes in unison and it could just kind of come off flat but again they're really good at providing subtle dynamic changes i think like especially in the the bass drum like there's like little ghost notes that sort of help help make it drive forward and so it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's falling flat which is cool yeah i think zach brings this a lot but in the whole band just has so much like intensity it's just like really gets you going um this song is about police brutality and racism within police forces uh it was written in the aftermath of the lapd beating of rodney king which is in march 91 in la and uh, the band began recording this album the following month and the la riots were still happening that followed that should we talk about the uh the uk christmas single thing i think you know it yeah you know the story better than me kids if you want to give it a quick synopsis i don't know that i know the story better than you but uh basically a few was it in 2000 yeah so it was i think you know more uh -huh. about the x factor than i do i guess <laughs> um so it's like yeah. 2009 this is an annual thing in in the uk they have a christmas single it's a big deal the number one single over the christmas week um and it's become like a thing 
in the UK. And yeah, the Christmas single's a big deal. Yeah. And so for several years consecutively, the Christmas single came from this show, The X Factor, which Kisner informed us before we started recording is an American show now. And I think, I think Barry and I are out of touch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what it was. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess there was in 2009, another X Factor person was going to be the Christmas single. And some people were kind of annoyed and fed up with Simon Cowell being sort of in control of pop music in the UK. And so there was this kind of grassroots campaign for people to download, uh, to try and bump up in the rankings uh this song. killing in the name and it yeah. ended up winning yeah it was number one for christmas <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a good story yeah which is even funnier when we play the outro or the ending of the song now you do what they told you now you do what they told you now you do what they told you such a good like just break it down start to piece it back together and they extend it by just a little bit more than you would expect so the build up and the release is I always love that section because it feels like it goes four bars more than you expect mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. makes it feel like the release is like yeah zach is so good like his just his delivery is just so incredible yeah he does so much cool syncopation on this album that it's just like and the way he phrases over bar lines and stuff it's really cool there's no one else like him. Yeah. I'd like to hear more from Zach. Yeah. I guess he's been more activist than musician lately. Yeah. But but they are touring now. Yeah. Uh, Rage is touring again, so. Didn't we mention One Day as a Lion on the Mars Volta episode and asked Zach publicly to uh, do another solo yeah. endeavor? Yeah. Well, here's another opportunity. He does. Dude. <laughs> He did um I know he did a Run the Jewels song. He was on a Run Run the Jewels album. Um Yeah, he features. He guests, He features occasionally. He, yeah. he was on the Black Alicious that was like twenty years ago though, that Black Alicious album. Um I thought you were gonna say that was twenty years ago, the Black Alicious podcast. Yeah, well both. Uh we've been doing this podcast for twenty years now. Um But yeah, he doesn't he hasn't done any like solo stuff, which whatever. He's can do whatever the fuck he wants but I'd, I'd love to hear more from him yeah he'd be like fuck you don't do it i won't do what you tell me <laughs> so should we listen to the solo i mean we should definitely listen to the um that build, build up and ending but is the solo worth listening to <clears throat> okay here's the solo section Yeah. 
I love what he does in that solo section because it's almost like he's doing the funky worm but oh, with yeah. the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. As an impressionable teenager, this section was just <laughs> hit really strongly. Do you guys remember when we got censored playing that song? <laughs> no. Vaguely. What was this story? We when we played at the Chiller our last uh our last show before going to college. We closed with that song and who was the guy? He was a really cool guy. He like booked the show. Um it's a really cool guy censoring us. <laughs> yeah, but he started to freak out because, like, he was like, "There are like parents here. This is an all-age show," and they started cutting, cutting uh, the mics during that part. Whoops! You won't do what you tell me. It's interesting in that um, section where they drop down and then they do the angry build. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach starts sort of. Almost like whispering it, but I I don't know that I've ever realized that the music is so chaotic at that point. The drums are going like like yeah, going going off, and then um during the build they start playing together, and that even sounds like bigger. It's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. I don't know that I've ever consciously noticed that. Yeah, they do. They lose the they sort of go out of time for yeah. a while, and then they just. Then they just hit those like boom, 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 boom. Um, yeah, and come back in. Yeah, which like I think you could only really do if you were recording it live. But. True. True. Um, the obvious, uh, obviously, and many people have pointed this out. The message of "fuck you, I won't do what you tell me," um, is in uh coming from rage you know we kind of know what they mean but can certainly be understood differently by different people and that's where getting yeah. to like kisner was talking about paul ryan is a big fan of rage, or at least he claimed to yeah be. who are you saying fuck you to is uh, up for debate i guess for some people yeah i mean i guess i mean it's yeah this song feels I mean, I think whether Paul Ryan was being, uh, you know, uh, honest or not or whatever, if he's a fan of the band, there are undoubtedly people who listen to the band who just don't give a shit or might actively right. disagree with their politics. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. You just listen to it because the music's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like I usually am... With Paul Ryan, things he things he says are usually in bad faith. So, yeah, yeah, not to. But I wouldn't be surprised if somebody who likes to like go to the gym and 
lift weights would listen to rage as something to like have in the background oh 100% like just the whole like you you don't have to agree and this is kind of what i was saying before of like it transcends the message in the target audience and it becomes way bigger than that and people can find ways to apply that phrase to anything mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and uh so that's where it becomes a little dicey and i don't know if you guys thought about this but when i was listening to this and and the revolutionary spirit of it takes on a different meaning a different meaning and there's a little bit uh conflicted feelings post january 6th mm-hmm. of who's taking this message and what are they going to do with it and that changes it you know it like there's this there's this feeling of pre the trump era you would think like it's the oppressed who are going to uh rise up and fight the system we are now in a a era where the you you know proud boys and, and stuff like that are literally trying to start another revolution mm-hmm. and it changes it changes how this uh album comes across a little bit not ne- not necessarily a bad way reflecting on rage right. it's just that the context is is different yeah. and it's like who's taking this message and what are they what are they going to do yeah radicalism from other viewpoints can be scary and i think also it's like the predictable backlash from the people who have the power feeling some, you know, some modest gains of, you know, marginalized people are going to feel like, yeah, and I'm, I'm a revolutionary. Um, it's kind of the white backlash. Mm-hmm. Your point. It's, uh, it's funny. Cause I feel of two minds about your point about, um, anybody can find something in the music. And I think that generally that's like blanket statement. That's a positive thing. Like music is something that it's like what it's really powerful at doing is transcending lots of stuff and speaking to people in different ways. Cause sound can just do lots of really things that words can't. Um, and then you, you add in sort of the messaging side and then that's where, yeah, like how, how that's taken or sort of the backlash to it. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I was having that thought and bringing that up, thinking about what do I think rage feels about their time as a band and the way that their legacy, like, do I, I was wondering, do they feel successful in their mission? Mm. Um, it's an interesting question because when you know that there are people who love your band and attend your concerts and stuff who wildly disagree with the things that you're singing about. Um, it just, it would probably make them question how effective is what we're doing. Um, musically, it was incredibly successful like for them as a musical project, but as a political project, it's, it's questionable. It's questionable, uh, how, how effective they were. And I think they were effective on a, on a small scale with a lot, a lot of people. I think they really did 
affect a lot of people. I, I mean, that happens with any sort of any movement. Yeah. And when things are small, it's easier to contain a message or make it what you want. But as things scale and grow, um, there's a lot of fractalizing that happens. And, um, and I think that that's, I'm, you know, not surprised. And I think like something that becomes a huge part of a cultural fabric on the one hand, you're like getting a lot of kids to sort of like know who Che Guevara is, and on the other hand, you have like Limp Biscuit kind of come out, and so I think there's like a mixed bag of like things that you did that were sort of intentional, and things that you did that were unintentional, and I don't know where it nets out, but I yeah. am glad that it existed and exists. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine if Rage put out their first album? in 2019 or 2020 mm. like how much that would be the soundtrack of of what's happening well it's hard to imagine because like again like i feel like so much of the late 90s early 2000s feels like only could have happened from bands like rage against machine existing so it's kind of i don't know yeah, and it's not really where music is right now. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. think Rage Against the Machine would come out now and be hugely popular. No. Um, I was just going to say on the success thing, like, maybe it's anecdotal, but, you know, like, what Barry and I shared and of other friends of ours, I think there's a lot of people like us who maybe, I don't think I'd be a radically different person if it weren't for Rage Against the Machine. It's just about, Everybody has lots of different things that get take them down the path, and I think if you're interested in politics or leftist politics in particular, you know, you, everybody has that. But rage was definitely influential to a lot of people, and I don't think like mm-hmm. you know maybe some like proud boys or whatever listen to rage to get like pumped up, but it's not like they wouldn't be right wing racists without rage. You know, rage isn't influencing them yeah. that down that path. It's just they're already there and they want something to like get a heart on or whatever. Um, and so <laughs> they find whatever they need. And, you know, rage, it doesn't matter. You know, rage is just the thing that fills in for some people that fills in that space. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think if it weren't them, it would be some other. Yeah. Metal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think there's probably a lot more people who started to think about this stuff because of rage yeah. than like some opposite thing. The, uh, the other people are going down that way anyway. Shall we take the power back? Yeah. So obviously there's guitar overdubs all over the mm-hmm. record uh, because there are more than one guitar sound uh, a lot. God, I love this opening. They'll slap. Yeah. They'll slap at a bass. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the trading back and forth between the bass and the guitar.
I feel weird fading out there because this one I feel like is uh really where Zach's uh just how deft he is at like rhythmically rapping is just it's so good. This one's so good. Yeah, this might be one of my favorites on the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's one of mine too now. Um, this song hits real hard now. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I wrote down like at a time when conservatives are trying to make it illegal for teachers to acknowledge that racism is mm-hmm. a thing, and because it will make the white children in the classroom uncomfortable, and they're literally being disciplined and fired for teaching real versions of history. Yeah. Like, um, this is a this is a very appropriate song for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like that three over the four that he does. Yeah, uh-huh. so cool. Yeah, the phrasing over the line. Hey, yo, check. We're gonna have to break it, break it, break, break it, down. break it down. Oh, shit. Just those like little tinkly sounds he does. Yeah. even before the solo, so cool. Yeah, like he's he, like raking on the top of the neck. I mean, this is an argument for why it's metal. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The teacher stands in front of the class, but the lesson plan he can't recall. The student's eyes don't perceive the lies, bouncing off every fucking wall. The is well kept. I guess he fears playing the fool. The place that students sit and listen to that bullshit that he'd learned in school. You're up, eight, five, broke to swing on. Can't learn a thing from it. Then we hang from it. Yeah, a lot of cool, like, sound stuff going yeah. on in there, too. Europe ain't my rope to swing on. I know. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I love this song. Yeah, that and Killing in the Name are both in D. If we want to name the key for each song, which is, I'm sure, a fun game for everybody. <laughs> and I don't think we ever played that song, but I liked to play it, the bass part. Should we move on to the one song that might actually be controversial between us? Yeah, controversial, like between us. Yeah. Between us. Yeah. This is Settle for Nothing. Sort of sounds like he's playing with a pick there, which he normally doesn't. Does. Why well, that is the opening to... Oh, there's one song that sounds like he plays with a pick. It's possible, but live stuff I've seen, I've never seen him play with a pick. Yeah, this is a nice... For me, this is like kind of a nice 
breath of fresh air, sort of right in the middle of the album, we sort of bring it down for a minute. Yeah, so I like it as a change of pace as well. Kicks in. Yeah, it's also a good. Uh, it's a good Zach song, and the like, um, content, the lyrical content, while always very political, is like, I feel like this has more of like a personal, um kind of perspective than maybe some of the other songs. Yeah, but maybe not personal to Zach, right? I don't know. Like, it seems like a character. There are a couple things I don't like about this song. One of them is the lyrics I find a bit triggering because they make me think about, again, in today's time, um... I got a nine, a sign, a set, and now I've got a name. That this whole like, is this a mass shooter? Like that's what it makes me mm-hmm. think of. I think um, he's referencing suicide. He's got a gun. He's got a sign. Yeah, and then, like writing on the wall is. And then he says obviously. suicide. <laughs> but but there's also a, a way to take this that he also says genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there are things about the lyrics that make me think like it's not full on like sound like a mass shooter but there's enough that makes me cringe Mm -hmm. um about that and that's uh, you know it's contextualizing a song that's not about that into right now i always took the genocide part is because he mentioned suicide and then he said like he's caught between his culture and an assimilation of a system and that's yeah. where genocide is, is killing off a culture for assimilation. That's what I took that as. Like, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, it, yeah. Either way, it's a bummer. Um, but saying I, I, I got a gun and now I'm important, there's just something very uh, unsettling about mm-hmm. that to me um, now. Um and the hatred passed on, passed on, passed on. It's just, it's a really heavy mm-hmm. song. Um, and I just, musically, it's definitely my least favorite. It's it's not, uh, it doesn't sound as good to my ear. And the main thing I think I told you guys is it just musically reminds me of a lot of stuff that came later of people probably like trying to sound mm-hmm. like this. And it, and it kind of ruined it a little bit for me. Like I, it makes me think of other stuff that came like almost a decade later, but still it reminds me of other stuff that kind of spoils this one a bit. But what a badass solo. Yeah, let's play the solo. He's phrasing it. Yeah. So musical. Yeah, that part especially is so cool. Almost has like a a feeling of uh, like a jazz solo. Yeah. Yeah. 
watching. Um, I watched something about the uh, sort of the making of, and the Garth Richardson said that he wanted to uh, Tom wanted to retrack, wanted to re-record the solo, but because they all recorded in a room, you can sort of hear the original solo in the drum mics bleed a mm-hmm. little bit, um, and that it wasn't played like at the same time, so you really can't hear it that well at all. Like I had, I listened and there's like a gap where Tom's not playing that you can kind of hear other Mm. notes, but it's so, it's so subtle. You would just think it's like a, a long delayed, uh, delay or reverb or something, but you can actually hear the remnants of his first solo, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, maybe that solo is so effective because he doesn't play like, that kind of style other places um but yeah i really love that and that's what i mean when i was like i wish he'd played more melodic solos every once in a while um because it's so beautiful and musical and well played i think i just like the song as in the place that place in the album the sequencing um it is nice to have a change of pace and i wouldn't count it as like my favorite rage song or if you had a band that did that kind of thing for 10 songs that would probably not be that exciting but it's cool to have it as a different flavor because rage i mean the one of potential knocks on them is like they don't have a lot of gears um so when they play yeah. like a slower quieter quieter for them kind of song it it's nice yeah 100 percent. it feels like for me if I'm going to listen to this album straight through, this is a necessary track. Mm, I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would skip this one. Uh, I, I get where you're coming from with it, it. It has a nice breath of fresh air. The problem is I don't like. You don't like the air. Happening. It's, it's stinky air for you. I don't like it. I like the idea of a break and a and a softer song, but um, or a little bit of a maybe softer like a born of a broken man or something, verse. which kind of has that same yeah plays that role. Yes, and I like yeah. born of a broken man just the way it sounds so much better. This one comes across to me like it's. I think the music mm-hmm. is stupid yeah. a little bit. Um, um, I actually like the music when it's heavy a lot mm-hmm. more. Uh, the riff that kind of changes just like one note and over and over again, like it, that. That's way cooler. I just, you know. So yeah, that's that's my honest take. This is the one I skip, and and it's not my favorite. I can see the merits of it, and I like the I like the lyrics enough, but yeah, I just think I think they do a really good job of playing with dynamics in this one, from yeah. the opening and sort of like developing what's really just sort of two chords developing it um over time into that really heavy section adding a few extra notes like kind of bringing it back down for the solo to me i really i really enjoy the simplicity and how much they try to develop something off of that which is not something that you see very often that's why i like it but i can i i i take what you say I, I can hear your criticism of it. I can't I can't take your criticism. <laughs> I reject your yeah. criticism. <laughs> yeah, there's some stuff you just don't like how it sounds and that's really like that's the way it is for me. 
like you know ska for me yeah i mean i can <laughs> no, see no, i can see though i can see how somebody wouldn't like how that sounds that's that's 100 percent. so this next song joe and i have a story yeah. classic. classic classic joe and matt's story This this song to me feels like you can just really hear where the drums and the bass are kind of like playing the sample, and then on top of that is sort of the mm-hmm. the guitar DJing on top. That is awesome. They're really good, especially that section. They're really good at playing on the back side of the beat. Mm. Um, they really stretch. They're able to stretch the time there a little bit, which is and still stay really in the pocket, which is cool. I feel like a lot of people, if they were to play this, might actually speed up a tempo there because you have to account for a lot of white space Mm. in between the notes. But they sort of lean the other way and give it a lot more space, which is what it needs, Mm -hmm. and they just do it really effectively. Okay, so, I mean, it's just super cool. Um, I love what Tom Morello is doing. Mm -hmm. Like siren, <laughs> there's so thing. many different, yeah, there's so many different cool mm-hmm. sounds just in the first part of that song that we heard. I think it's really cool how sparse Tom Morello is in the beginning. It's yeah. just a really cool choice, like giving a lot of space to the. Yeah, again, a metal, a metal section yeah. here. I love Obviously Zach metal. does an a really, really good like, uh, like just like his yeahs uh, are really good. <laughs> yeah. This I feel like was played with a pick. It sounds like it. Yeah. Probably just for the recording. I'm not sure that he would play with yeah. pick live. But it gives it a timing. cool quality. It gives it like a little bit of a scratchy quality. But this is a uh, Joe. <laughs> I went over to Joe's house after school one day, and we were just listening to this track and really loudly in my bedroom, singing along to this section, and turned the volume up way loud in your room. I don't even know if we knew anyone else was home. Yeah, and I <laughs> think I maybe was playing air bass. Like yeah. with a broomstick, maybe or something. I don't know. <laughs> Which adds to the embarrassment. I was probably air drumming, and then we started screaming this section. Roll out.
And then right after you got a bullet in your fucking head, my dad comes into my room super pissed off. (laughs) And we were very, I mean, I was super embarrassed and sheepish. And he was like, like, what are you doing? Turn it down. And I was like, yeah, it's funny because I don't remember it. Like, it didn't seem like he was mad about the lyrical content that we were yelling, you got a bullet in your fucking head. He was just mad that it was loud. Yeah. <laughs> like, I uh, think, yeah, I remember being really embarrassed too because I don't yeah. think my dad, like, he was really mad, l- was, would listen that closely to any music I listened to. I, I don't know. It could be wrong, but yeah, I don't think he cared much about the content. I think he was just like, shut up. I just got home from work. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah. that song is kind of about like me- government manipulation of media and news and things like that. If we want to put a specific meaning to it. Yeah. Standing in line. Mm-hmm. Bowing down to the flag. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, like the critique of the age of television and sort of mm-hmm. just sitting in front of a television and repeating back. Uh, going back to the beginning, that's a very funky uh, Hell yeah. bass. Hell yeah. Bass. Mm-hmm. In fact, we should maybe do a little Fonganello there. Huh? <laughs> Funk Another you know Funk it. Analysis segment. It's been a minute. I don't think we've done one in a little while. Well, Elliot Smith, I mean... Had so many funky parts. <laughs> Elliot and Everclear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty funky. I mean, mm-hmm. they they talk about funk uh, throughout their career. Um, Another funky radical it. bomb track. That's right. That's right. Feel the funk blast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the bass part. Um, I mean, like like Matt was saying, it, it's, it really has a hip hop feel um more yeah, for sure and that that obviously runs through all their stuff but this song maybe more than any on this album and the bass part is is extremely funky yeah um in the pocket awesome like perfect kind of tempo for funkiness yeah we talked on the herbie hancock that the bass dyad thing was a really funky thing to do yeah i think nate mentioned that and it is funky and they play funky um you know, they are the renegades of funk. They are. <laughs> I give it um six half-eaten corneas on the funky <laughs> scale. Wow, that's mashing together a lot of different <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, six half-eaten corneas on the <laughs> funk scale. All right. Out of how many? <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> eight seven <laughs> seven half eaten corneas is the the best well no, i don't know i just can't i'd up with say that. the the opening is for sure funky mm-hmm. um, yeah the end is very not so yeah yeah so i feel like it's got to qualify a little bit there it's uh <laughs> yeah maybe that beginning funky. part is quite funky yeah 
Um, and I think throughout their career, there's there's funkiness thrown in. I wouldn't say it's a very, it's certainly not a funky album. Yeah, this is the peak of their funk on this on this album. Yeah, I think that's right. I think for this one, uh, we'll just uh, you know their rating is that they're the renegades of funk. Okay, I agree. <laughs> Good funk analysis, everyone. Good job, guys. Yeah, very we did it. <laughs> I'm gonna say this one felt a little more disco-y to me. <laughs> I was. I mean, I think we were on the same page with that, no doubt. No, one. I agree. I was very on the same page with you. Yeah, and I agree that it sounds disco-y. I just think disco-y disco is very funky a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, or at least in some cases. Like As we've learned in this pod, making this pod, is genres are ridiculous and yeah, usually don't make a ton of sense. I guess they're just true, true. little helpful. Yeah, they're, um, just, they're just good for sort of helping create a point of reference, and then they're sort of useless after that. Yeah, and it's more of a marketing thing than anything. In general, people like to be able to classify things. It creates a a way for us to just understand the world. And so putting things in the boxes is just, I think it's just a yeah. natural inclination of humans in order to make sense of the world. And so genres make sense in that way. It's just nothing really neatly fits into one box. So, and people's yeah. definitions of those boxes are often very different. So, No, you're ready me! Oh, Green Day has this, a song called Know Your Enemy, too. This opening is just... Uh, pretty funky, too. What's all of that? The funk here is short-lived, though. Yeah. So enjoy it while you can. <laughs> I'd say this might be a little more funky than the beginning of Bullet in Your Head. I agree, I agree. It just goes away now. And this might be the most metal thing on it. that riff yeah Yeah. i mean they're like within a minute they've gone through three distinct musical feels feels yeah (laughs) like it just that's really cool yeah i love the (laughs) yeah yeah because they kind of hiccup the pickup uh, in a way where it kind of the pickup, <laughs> guys, guys, new album title, Hiccup, Hiccup the Pickup. The pickup. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Be a good funk album name. Yeah, but they do. They like it. It's kind of just. It's a little bit like the timing is a little crushed, and so uh, it just gives it a really neat quality. But th- again, they're yeah. still like really in the pocket. Yeah. I 
again, very metal-y. Yeah. And with Chucka Chuckas. Yeah. And that aux percussion is cool. Yeah. Pick up the pickup! <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we listen to the solo? Sure. Oh, yeah, cool. sure. Again, the bass Ooh. holding down the funky. I mean, dude can shred, man. Yeah. Yeah, he really can. Hold it for uh, one more section. So good. Yeah. I got a little uh so cool. What's that called? Fr- Frizzon or whatever. My hair is standing on end. Uh, Goosebumps. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, that's a great song. Such a good song. That part that like the weep weep weep. Come on, that sounds like wake up. Uh, maybe I'm just conflating the two in my head, but I was like, I thought this was wake up for a second. Maybe there's a there's very definitely name sonic similarities. similarities. Yeah. yeah, they kind of do like these buildups, and the thing about listening back to this is like, I think there was a point where I kind of, after I listened to this music so much for a long time, uh, I kind of set it aside, and in my brain, I think, um, classified it as kind of like simplistic in certain ways, which it is. But coming back to it, just like again, like their ability to sort of fall in and out of time, to play and stretch and compress time. And like, even in that solo, he's just like syncopating over the four. And Mm -hmm. that's just really cool. Yeah. And there's special guests. I don't think we really mentioned that here. That was Maynard James Keenan from Tool, who was singing there for a minute. Yeah. And who was the other special guest? Stephen um, Perkins from Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pyros playing percussion. I think one of their first, if not like their first big show, they opened for Porno for Pyros. So it makes sense that he is a friend of theirs. They also played on Lollapalooza 
one of the early years, and I think they played with, I don't know if the entire tour, but um, Tool may have been on it, because I know there's live um, performances of them doing this song with Maynard. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know how much to take from the Apple Music writing credits, but I did just notice that... um, a lot of the songs on here are credited to Zach De La Rocha, except for Take the Power Back, Settle for Nothing. Uh, I wonder if that's just the lyrics, though. Well, and maybe can, the one. Yeah, Take the Power Back and Settle for Nothing are credited to the full band. Yeah, and I wonder, like, if the. like if... Same with Wake Up. Wake Up is as well. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the rest I noticed are that Zach too. Oh, Fistful of Steel also credited the full band. Yeah. Township Rebellion is the full band. So there are a handful that are just Zach. Freedom is just Zach. No, you're are we talking lyrics or lyrics and music, or it doesn't clarify? They. It doesn't clarify. It doesn't clarify. They just say who this song is credited to. Interesting. And it says it on the bottom of the lyrics, right? Like if yeah, you yeah. look on the yeah, so um, if you look at the lyric view, it's usually at the bottom of that. So that's why I was like, maybe it's where who the lyrics are credited to, uh, and which yeah. would make sense why most of them are just Zach. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Is it time to wake up? Yeah, time to sure. wake up. This is like the Led Zeppelin. Yeah obvious Led Zeppelin stuff. This is where Neo flies up into the sky. Yeah, the uh, the cashmere uh, similarity has never yeah. been lost on me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, here it is. Come on! Like that's very that's that sounds a lot like the last song. There's some wah pedal in there. There is. There's a lot of wah pedal in this song. And the doubling of the vocals. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. I was getting in the air in the land of hypocrisy. Let's say, this is a moment where the wah pedal is effectively used. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've watched live videos of this song and. You know, Tom like detunes the string mm. to get that. Oh wow! And um, that's like seems really dangerous. Yeah. Like you could, you know, easily end up playing the rest of the song completely out of tune. <laughs> I guess if you're confident enough in your ear, or if he has a tuner, like if he's watching it while he's doing it. But um, yeah, I just was surprised that he would do that. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It is cool. 
I assumed that there was some sort of like pedal that could, you know, he could somehow create that effect without actually moving the tuner. <laughs> Tuning it, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So this song was in the Matrix. This was the closeout song. Um, that come on. That's where Neo flies into the mm-hmm. sky. Um, and then the credits roll. Uh, Matrix One and Two both ended with a rage song. The second one, it was "Calm Like a Bomb." Oh, end credits. And I was super disappointed when Matrix Revolutions came out and did not have a rage song. Like, why not put a rage song over the end credits? Just complete the set, you guys. (laughs) Did the new one have a rage song? Did they play Freedom? Oh, I think. Did the new one end with one of those? Uh, brass against the machine. Oh, things? maybe, maybe. What's brass against the machines? That's, oh, brass against the machine is a cover band that does rage, but they have horns, so they basically ripped us off. <laughs> yeah, we are owed money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we're the only the only kids with that idea, for sure. <laughs> They're actually very cool, and they do it way better than us. They have a female lead singer who is. Very cool. I think uh, the new Matrix ends with a cover of Wake Up played by Brass Against the Machine. Um, so, I mean, that's cool. So really, there's only one Matrix movie that doesn't end with a raid song. Is it Brass Against is the full name? Just Brass they Against? They call it Brass Against now. It used to be called Brass Against okay. the Machine. And they only play rage songs? No, they okay. do other stuff, okay. but they started as primarily a rage okay. cover band. But they do um, a really cool version of the Run the Jewels. Um, I think it was like a, a mashup, Run the Jewels and a rage song. It's nice. cool. I'll try to find it and send it to you, Matt. All oh, right. I think yeah, here's that breakdown. Definitely huge Zeppelin vibes. Yeah. Even in the drums, like yeah. not very loud yeah it's hard to hear it so what's actually being talked uh, said here was an actual fbi memo from j edgar hoover where he suggests targeting the black movement and suppressing them and obviously they're insinuating that them saying and neutralize them is code for let's take them out and kill them
I always love the messiness of this solo. Cool. Now, I, I can't believe that wasn't a single. I, uh, I thought it was. The ones that I think were listed as singles are Bomb Track, Killing in the Name, Bull in the Head, and hmm. Freedom. Maybe it had a video, but wasn't a single or something? I don't know. Well, something... Uh, I wanted to bring up, but we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, is the fact that they are included on soundtracks seems a little bit odd for a band with their kind of M.O. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Matrix makes sense, but Godzilla? Yeah. And <laughs> The Year of the Boomerang was on a soundtrack. I forget which one. But so they were on multiple soundtracks. And maybe maybe that was done like without their... Hundred percent commitment or consent. I don't know, but. but no shelter was only on the Godzilla soundtrack. I think, yeah, and I think they made a video for it. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Same with Year of the Boomerang. I think that might have been done specifically for a soundtrack. I think it might be, you know, their entire career um, was like, well, we can, as if we're true to what we want to make musically and politically. Um, and we get, you know, a why if we can get a wider audience for it, then that's worth it. Maybe is kind of the thinking. Okay. I was wrong. You're the boomerang. Was originally appeared on the soundtrack for higher learning in 1994. Um, when it was on evil and then it was put on evil empire. So it didn't just, Mm-hmm. exist uh there this is an interesting song um like you were alluding to brandon kind of talking about fbi efforts to like undermine leftist kind of political movements in the 60s and 70s like specifically malcolm x and and dealing with his assassination and and the blame on the nation of Islam, right? That's the yeah, and MLK. Yeah, this is another thing that like I can I don't know if I knew it when I was in high school, but started to get me to like read about stuff like this when I was in college. So yeah, I think it's it's again influential stuff. I think like um, you know, uh, you know, they talk about the Black Panther Party and like. I don't know if they mention it specifically in this song, but Fred Hampton um, being assassinated by the FBI, basically. Um, it's that kind of general, referring to that just kind of general tactic. And again, yep. in the 90s, I think it, it's hard to remember, but like in the 90s, like you wouldn't hear about this stuff anywhere. And now like if you're right. a teenager and you're interested you can just wiki wiki things um wiki wiki things yeah exactly wiki wiki but but um yeah i mean i think that's another thing we maybe uh under sell some of the influence this stuff could can have because now 
everything is so accessible information wise. And even when we were in high school, I don't think, I mean, Wikipedia may have existed like our last year or two in high school, but I didn't use it. This fist bull. <laughs> There's pocketful, fistful. Yeah. Uh, fistful of steel. All those harmonics. Yeah. Now this one is in drop D, I think, but it's in F sharp, I believe. I really loved this one as a kid. Like, yeah, this was one of my favorites. I don't know that it's my favorite anymore, but yeah. Um. I would say the back. Three of these aren't the strongest, and they are a little bit reminiscent of earlier stuff on the album. Yeah. But they're still good. Yeah, this has a little bit of the same sort of bit from, like, Know Your Enemy. Yeah, and, yeah, Bullet in Your Head. Yeah. Yeah, not a ton to say about that one. Um, again, a little bit of a funkiness to the bass and drumming. Just kind of has a scratching, scratching effect on the solo. Yeah. I do like this part a lot. And the way that they like expand on that riff by adding those two extra notes. Yeah. Yeah, this part, okay, this part pumps me up. This is a pretty cool song. But this part, like, really does the scratching effect effectively. Yeah. This is, yeah, and that's the bass. Oh, that's true. I'd say this song probably is the most, like, where Audio Slave goes. Oh. I could see that. Yeah, there's a specific one almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, just sort of that, like... That's bow, that's bow. all you need to do. Like, <laughs> do like a... And then some sort of riff in between. Come back, do some hits. With one, two, three, three cents to the graveyard. Which one's that? I don't, I don't you know. know which one I'm talking about? I don't know, but that should be our cold open. <laughs> uh. 
we were. I mean, I like the um, the little bass scratchy thing. That's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the music is not particularly noteworthy. I think Zach does a good performance, and I watched a video live from ninety two or three, like when they were touring on this album, mm-hmm. and he's like does a really intense like as he always does. Like it's really um like engrossing kind of to watch him do this yeah yeah it's good it's probably as close to filler as this album gets yeah Mm -hmm. say so yeah i was saying the last three songs here get a bit same samey a little bit Mm -hmm. um i think township rebellion is cooler than i remember every time that i listen to it i'm always like oh yeah this is cooler but it is also reminiscent of other riffs on this album i remember township rebellion being one of my favorites too um yeah we also had a one-off side project called township rebellion that's right and uh it was basically just like i think we wrote one or two songs and then we just played like it was it was basically because we had like a horn section and our normal band, we were like, we need a band with like two guitars and just like, <laughs> just kind of fucking rock out. Who sang? You? You sang? I don't know if we had a singer. We just played cool riffs. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> I think we had some like jammy type songs. You played Moby Dick like five times in a row. <laughs> Let's play Township. <laughs> Oh, so cool. This is not that same samey, actually. It's this not. part. This is very different. That. It's got a little bit with the cowbells. It's got a little killing in the name vibe. Yeah. That's but, true. But I think it's so cool. It's so. It's the riff that is very similar. Yeah. What about that sucker? <laughs> go go! I love that. The <laughs> reminds me of. Did you ever listen to their like demo? Where he yeah yeah it's pretty muffins? yeah yeah. That's on the the twentieth anniversary. All that's on there. It's it's interesting to listen to. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, I really love that they were like. And this is sort of like Bullet in the Head has more of like a hip hop vibe to it because they're just like, I'm just going to go bow, 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 like for an entire verse. And then Tom is just going to go like, (laughs) (laughs) and it's so cool. It's like really, yeah, it really pushes ahead. It feels like it's got a lot of energy and a lot of momentum. And it and it's good. Um, it like showcases the the vocals, yeah, really well. And their way, I think, just their ability to sort of create backup music for the vocals in mm-hmm. a way that is like, yes, it is drums, bass, and guitar, but it doesn't sound like drums, bass, and guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we play three oh six? I have that marked, and I have a a, a really good scream is also at that part too. Oh, 
Oh yeah, it totally changes the vibe. This is kind of same samey. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one, Freedom and Killing in the Name are quite similar, but it's okay. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do tend to do this sort of like break it down, build it back up. Yeah. And then just kind of With like explode a repeated lyric, like yeah. Yeah. kind of like a chanted sort of almost thing. Yeah, which they do it killing the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Several places. Shackled our minds when we're bent on the cross. There's another scream comment yeah, coming up. <laughs> it's coming up. <laughs> Yeah, that was all right. It's not the best, not the worst. Let's yeah. let's do Freedom, uh, which was also a single. We covered this one, uh, and we played time. it at our band Battle our, of the Bands our at our high school <laughs> with a gong on stage <laughs> yeah. that we just hit over and over again. A completely unnecessary gong. <laughs> completely unnecessary. Gong. Uh, in the same way that there might have been a sitar that was completely unnecessary. It was like maybe every downbeat he was playing that gong. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Bang a gong. I love that little Michael Jackson-ish moment. Yeah, it's it's one of the few places he does that. Kind of like falsetto. classic yeah and just great building and anger your anger is a gift comes from this one that's at 342 if we want to do the fast yeah let's listen to that also at 142 i think they do it they do it twice yeah at least i wrote down 342 it's probably similar yeah i think it's They do use the cowbell more than I realized listening yeah. back to it. Yeah. Same. Oh, that doubling. Cool. Yeah. And then again, just layering it up. solo it's a cool solo yeah here comes the gong 
Yeah, this is where you get a little of your your modal playing, Jim. Yeah. yeah. So cool though. Drop that. Can we do the That feels very I don't know what song it is, but is it like a Zeppelin tune? There's a, it just Yeah. Has sort of the a banana nano banana nano that yeah. part. Yeah. Or it might be might be a, a Sabbath tune or something. I don't know. It has like a kind of a feeling of like they early, have that vibe early vibe. metal. It's <clears throat> a cool line. This one we played a few times and it was a definitely a crowd pleaser. Gets people excited. Yeah. Zach's screaming though, so good. Yeah. I mean iconic, like it's it's just, it's still great. It doesn't sound super dated considering it's almost thirty years old. The beginning of that end riff, the beginning of it is different, right? Then it sounded like it goes like and then he they change it to I don't know. It might just be where he starts the thing and then you you find the downbeat after a couple times cuz I think I think you're right, that's how I feel it at first, but then I'm not sure they actually change the way they play anything. Yeah. Final thoughts? Well, it's still, to me, holds up. I mean, I loved this as a kid, so... But when I was listening to dr- to it driving in particular, I was just like, this is awesome. I think, like, <laughs> listening to it now um, and talking about it, you know, maybe the one knock would be, like, there's a little bit of um, sameness as you get to the end. Um, maybe another settle for nothing type song would help that out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's still super solid and really consistent. So still love it. Yeah. Same. I think it is a good example of a 10 song album. If they had tried to do, if there were 12, I bet my ears would be tired. Um, Mm -hmm. but 10. 10 feels right. And still, even with 10 songs, it's 53 minutes long. Um, it does have a little sameness, but overall, it's just like, I don't know, really, really solid playing. I think just musically, they really brought it. And so the ener- you can just feel the energy. Like I think maybe on some records, even the performances, the energy might dip. And on this, they just somehow managed to keep the energy really intense. Uh, so that's, yeah, I like that. It's definitely like, you know, it's not a record that like, I will just like put on, you know, it's something that like I come back to for a nostalgia moment. It's not, it's not really the the kind of music that I would listen to so much these days, but, um, no, coming back to it, it was a delight. 
Yeah, I put it on to play guitar too, uh, from time to time, um, when I need to rock out. But um, yeah, still so good. When I when I listen to Rage now, I tend to listen to Evil Empire because that's the one I was less familiar with than the others, and uh, I just find that one a little bit more satisfying. I may have overdone it with this song. I was trying to, th- I was thinking of it kind of like my favorite TV show, which is Arrested Development. That I can't, I almost can't watch the first few seasons of Arrested Development. I, I'd rather watch the newer ones, even though they're not as good, because I just watched those other ones so much. And that's kind of how I feel about this album. It's like, it's it's great, but I, I may have listened to it a little bit too much back in the day. <laughs> it's nice when you've had a long break. Yeah. Yeah. Like I hadn't listened to it in like 10 years. Well, speaking of break, guys... We're going to have a little break here, but we will return uh, in a few weeks. But, uh, yeah. We love you. Well, <laughs> we do love you all. Like and subscribe and all those things. And uh, this, you know, we're in the peak of summer, so make sure you stay frosty. Stay frosty. There you go. <laughs> all right. See ya. Bye. Pick up the pickup.